B, press button B. Who remembers that? Who remembers press button A, press button B? Who hasn't got a clue what I'm talking about? Okay. There you go. So press button A, press button B was a feature of the old telephone boxes. So you used to put your money in, and if the, other, if the caller answered, you press button A, and if the caller didn't answer, you press button B and got your money back. There you go. Now you know. Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. Wow, it's Pentecost. Aha. Lord Jesus, thank you that you send your Holy Spirit on your church with power. Lord, we receive the person and the power of your Holy Spirit all over again, just like that first Pentecost. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the title of this morning's sermon, you get yourselves buckled up and ready to go, is What About the Law? What About the Law? And the reason for that title will become clear as we speak. I'm honoured to maintain relationship with a number of those folks who we knew when we were out in Southeast Asia. Some of you will know that Lizzie and I went to Southeast Asia uh, in 2017. We came back in 2020, initially expecting to go back after a couple of months, but uh, coronavirus had other ideas, so here we still are. Um, but in those two and a half, three wonderful years, we have the privilege and opportunity to head up mission in Southeast Asia on behalf of Lighthouse. So thank you for, for your support. Uh, I was having a conversation with one of my friends in Laos recently, and he had encountered an issue as a leader which required a lot of wise judgment and decision-making. Who knows that of being a leader? Wisdom and wise judgment and decision-making. An individual for whom he had leadership responsibility had sinned. And if there was such a thing as a scale of sin, which there isn't in God's eyes, this would have been up near the top. As we talked, I spoke about the importance of grace, of showing the same forgiveness and grace which we ourselves are shown in Christ, of not condemning but restoring. And then came the question, but what about the law? My friend was referring to the old covenant law, of course, and its applicability to us as New Covenant Christians. Should the law be applied here? I thought silently, I hope not. I'm not sure how a stoning would go down in the middle of Vientiane, the capital city of Lao. Seriously, in trying to answer my friend's question and the wider-ranging issue at its heart, I asked him to consider a principle from the Old Covenant law, that of Passover. Passover, you'll recall, was instituted in Exodus chapter 12. And you kind of remember the story. Um, Egypt had gone through this series of plagues. 
and they'd come to the last plague, which was the death of the firstborn. You remember it. And God said to Moses, right, what I want you to do is this. I want you to instruct the people of Israel to take a lamb without spot or blemish, to sacrifice the lamb and to take its blood and to daub the blood around the doorpost, so along the sides of the door and over the lintel of the door. And when the angel of death comes to kill all of the firstborn, he will pass over those houses that have the blood on the door. Well, you want to make sure you're inside that house with the blood on the door, wouldn't you? Yeah. So sure enough, the people of Israel did this, and we know that the angel of death passed over them, but that all of the firstborn, the children, the livestock of Egypt died. And so the Passover is instituted and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they were to eat unleavened bread, which had been prepared quickly, culminating in the Passover meal, becomes a part of the requirement of the Old Covenant. An annual celebration of deliverance of the people of Israel from bondage and the very beginning of their journey to the Promised Land. Now, Fast forward with me to Luke, and we'll look at chapter 22 and verse 7. So this is kind of how the Passover gets dealt with by Jesus under the new covenant. So verse 7 of chapter 22 says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. So generally speaking, by this time, (coughs) the Jews had a seven-day feast or seven-day period of the unleavened bread, and then on the final day, they had the Passover meal. A little bit of variation depending on where you live, but that was a general story. Jesus instructs his disciples, doesn't he, to prepare the Passover so that they may eat of it. Then we find them in the upper room, participating in what we now call the Last Supper, And what does Jesus do? This is very interesting. Does he simply follow the ritual of the old covenant Passover? Does he? The answer is no. What he does is something quite extraordinary. Something which, along with lots of other things he does, turns the old covenant on its head. Right? What does he do? Well, he says, or what he does, is to take the symbols of the Passover meal, yeah, and he uses them to institute a new and far better covenant. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you. Can you imagine being a disciple sitting there? You've been through 20, 30 years or more of Passover ritual where things are done just so. And suddenly, here is Jesus. What's he doing? This is my body given for you. Wow. After supper, he takes the cup of wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed 
for you. So do you see how he's taken the type of Passover, the old covenant law principle of Passover, it acts as this type or shadow of something far better. Do we still celebrate the old covenant Passover here today? Anybody do that? I shouldn't think so. No. Because it has no relevance. It has no application for us in that old covenant state. However, can we still look at the story of Passover and learn from it? Marvel at the goodness and grace of God in his dealings with his covenant people? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So in answering my friend's question, but what about the law? And using that question as my sermon title this morning, I want to look at a few more examples of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I want to extend this question to ask not only does the law apply today, but of what relevance is it? Should it be the focal point of our study of Scripture, or do we ignore the first two-thirds of the Bible completely? Which is it to be? If we move on a little from our Exodus 12 scripture, we can see the law beginning to institute the various principles of the old covenant, of the law. You'll find that in Exodus 25 onwards. I'm not going to go through that scripture in detail, but if you kind of want to follow on as I talk, that's great. He instructs Moses to build the tabernacle, a tent and curtain wall structure that's about the size of this room. That's convenient, isn't it? So if you imagine a curtain wall around the edge there, um, as you came through the front entrance, the door, you encountered a lava, a bronze wash basin, and then a bronze altar. Moving further in, you approach the holy place or the sanctuary, which contains a table of showbread. There's so many symbols of Christ here. Incidentally, I don't have time to teach on this now. But as you look at the, the door, remember Jesus said, I am the door. You know, you look at this means of washing. You look at the altar of sacrifice. You look at the table of showbread. Wow, all these symbols of Christ. It's quite amazing. Yeah. So, table of showbread, seven branch candle stand, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and then to the altar of incense. And then you come to the veil. Do you remember this talk of the veil? The veil in the temple at the crucifixion of Jesus was what? From top to bottom. And the veil here is symbolic of sin. It is symbolic of the flesh, the barrier that prevents man from accessing God. So there is this separation, this veil between man and God. Beyond the veil is what? Beyond the veil is the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, over which hovers the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God. Can you imagine it? Wow. God also institutes the ministry of the high priest. Under the old covenant law, the high priest is a man. 
taken from the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron. He's consecrated and set apart to serve in the high priestly role. One of his main duties is once a year to perform the act of atonement, the blood of a bull dipped in ash, to go through the veil into the Holy of Holies and to sprinkle the blood over the mercy seat to atone for, firstly, his own sin, but also for the sin of the people. To temporarily cover those sins in the sight of God until next year, when it has to happen all over again. So you see, the law provides an imperfect tabernacle. It's interesting that many of the uh, articles of the tabernacle were made of bronze. And bronze was used as a cheap substitute for gold. The thing about bronze is that no matter how much you polish it, no matter how much work you put in, you're never going to turn it into gold. And so it is with the law. No matter how much self-effort and works there were, righteousness never resulted. So the law provided an imperfect high priest, a man who had sinned just as the people who had sinned, a man who had to atone for his own sins first. And the law provided an imperfect sacrifice, the blood of animals which could do nothing to take away sin. All the blood could do was to temporarily cover, because of God's grace, the sin in his eyes. Just to get a bit more of a handle on this, let's look at Hebrews 9. I love the book of Hebrews. Some of you will know that. I encourage you all to read it, inwardly digest, and then read again. So Hebrews 9. In fact, um, we'll just back up briefly to verse 13 of chapter 8. Let's see what that says. There's a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Excuse me. Now the word obsolete in the Greek means old, outmoded, invalid, just like the press button A and press button B. If you encounter one of those telephone phone boxes now, it will be old, outmoded, invalid. You struggle to find the coins to put in it. Yeah? And I doubt it would work anyway. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hold that thought, and let's look at chapter 9. The chapter begins with a short summary of what we've just discussed, the holy place and the most holy place, or holy of holies. And it gives us a little description there. And it says down in verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first performing the services. That's true. So all of the priests of the tribe of Levi, they ministered in the sanctuary. Yeah, that was their job. By family, they had a particular role. Some things they took in turns, and they would minister in the sanctuary. But into the second part, as we said, the high priest went alone once a year. Yeah? 
not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. So you see, as we said, the high priest of the old covenant had to sacrifice for his own sin as well as that of the people. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. See, the law and the rituals of the law could do nothing. The law could not make perfect. It could not bring righteousness. We're told as much in Hebrews 7 um, and Galatians 3. Let's have a quick look at those. Just hold on to Hebrews 9 for the moment. Hebrews 7, verse 18. For on the one hand, there is an annulling, that is an invalidating of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. Yes! Through which we draw near to God. Wow. How do we draw near to God? Well, Ephesians tells us that we were aliens, even from the commonwealth of Israel, lost without hope. But we were far off, are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, yeah, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3 that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us, hallelujah, from the curse of the law. What was the curse of the law? Sin and death, sin and death, sin and death having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that's us, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Isn't that so true? The new covenant is all about faith. It's all about faith. Just listen to this from Ephesians 2. For it is by free grace. Free grace. God's unmerited, unearned favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through faith. And this faith is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Wow, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in or take glory to himself. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews 9. So we have this commentary that sets out the Old Covenant. And I hope I've convinced you that the old, it was powerless 
because of sin to bring about any righteousness. But Hebrews 9.11, what does it say? But Christ. Wow. I tell you, when you see that in Scripture, when you see a but or a therefore or a but Christ, it's time to rejoice. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, the Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the perfect mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And so it goes on. I could read all the way through this. It's so good. It's so good. Let's just summarize what this tries to tell us. The law gave an imperfect sacrifice, offering offered by an imperfect high priest, one who was man and had also sinned at an imperfect tabernacle made with hands, a law rendered powerless to bring about justification and righteousness. Always remember that. There is nothing in those for us, not at our salvation and not after our salvation. Yeah? Don't be fooled into kind of reverting to some sort of law. Yeah, you were saved by God's grace through faith and that faith is a gift of his. Live your saved life. Live your salvation in that same grace through faith. Amen? So Hebrews 9 tells us, yes, all of those things were imperfect, but then it says, but Christ... He came as the perfect sacrifice of sin. His blood avails for all, for all time, for all sin. He came as the perfect high priest of a new and better covenant, making the first covenant obsolete. Fully God and fully man. That perfect mediates, but without sin. He went through the veil. In fact, he tore the veil symbolic of sin, and entered the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies no longer barred to us because he was our captain. He was the forerunner into the very presence of God. He opened the way so that we can come, what? Boldly before the throne of grace, right into the presence of God ourselves to find help in time of need. Wow. In doing this, as I said, he made a way for us to come boldly 
before this throne of grace too. He presented his blood at the mercy seat in heaven. And what did the Father say to him? Hebrews 1.13 Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's the eternal sacrifice made. He sits at the right hand of God, the right hand of the majesty on high. Unlike the high priest of the old covenant, who was always standing, his work never done, Jesus sits. The price for all sin, for all time, for all who will accept him, paid in full. So let me answer a few of those questions I posed at the beginning. I'm starting to wrap up here. What about the law? Is it still relevant today? Well, in its sense of application to us, it has been annulled. It has been rendered obsolete, old, outmoded, and invalid by a far better covenant based on far better promises. Of course, this doesn't mean that it no longer has relevance as Scripture. As we study the Old Covenant, we see, as we've seen this morning, these types and shadows of Christ. So no, don't give up on the Old Covenant. Just read it in the context it's intended. Finally, let me talk briefly about salvation, about becoming a Christian in the light of what I've said here. Often when I share the gospel with people, a response I get is, I'm not good enough for God. It's as though people say, one day, when everything is perfect, when I have all my ducks in a row, then I'll come to God. Then maybe he'll accept me. Well, I hope you'll see that given what we've said about the law and how it shows that none of us can achieve righteousness of our own ability, of our own resources, then the idea that you can ever get yourself good enough for God is a rather crazy one. No, my friends, God invites you to come to him just as you are. If you're listening or listening online and you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do so. And don't think that you have to wait until you're good enough. Come to him just as you are. Amen? So if that's you, would you talk to somebody, talk to a friend who you know to be a Christian about how you can give your life to Jesus? Amen.